The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zinn 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Body Bags with Joseph Scott Morgan. Miami, Florida is probably one of the most beautiful locations in the country that I've personally ever visited. You know, you, you know, some people describe locations like it as saying that everywhere you look is essentially a postcard. You know, that kind of beautiful emerald green water and the pure white sand and palm trees, things that we don't normally see in these locations that we live in around the country. And I think when we begin to think about you seek a place like that to find peace and happiness and you try to live in that environment as if it is paradise. Life gets in the way, doesn't it? You begin to suddenly realize that within paradise, it can completely turn into a horror show. Today, we're going to talk about an OnlyFans model and her boyfriend wound up in the middle of a bloodbath. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan, and this is Body Bags. Jackie Howard, executive producer with Crime Stories, Nancy Grace, I gotta tell you, every time I've ever been to Miami, I've, I've often thought, you know, what in the world do you have to do? What kind of, what kind of money do you have to make <laughs> to live in a place like this it's absolutely gorgeous you've got you know the salt air you've got the beautiful beach you can go walk up and down it's exotic it looks like you're in the middle of the caribbean and i guess in kind of a way you are but with courtney clinney and her boyfriend it was anything but perfection it did end up being a nightmare certainly for this couple joe courtney clinney is an OnlyFans model, and she has 2 million followers on Instagram. And this may have been in part, which paid for the lifestyle that you're talking about, Joe. 
OnlyFans is a subscriber account, and with 2 million followers paying between 5 and $50 a month for access to her content would certainly make a comfortable lifestyle possible. Courtney Clenny was dating Christian Obamselli. They had been living together for a couple of years, and Inside this apartment that day, he left to go get Subway to get them some lunch. During that time, Clenny made a couple of Instagram posts. She called her mother. But when Obenselli came back, reportedly an argument ensued. We don't know what, but the argument resulted in Courtney Clenny reportedly stabbing Christian Obenselli. And... We find out later that there had been multiple reports of arguments coming from that household. But the biggest image that is standing out from this alleged murder is a photo of Clenny standing on their balcony in a bra covered in blood. For, you know, for forensic scientists, for a crime scene investigator, that's that's absolute gold, because what do we associate most with? With death investigation, I think that for the average person on the street, other than simply a dead body, it's going to be blood because it's one of those things when you take a look at it, you you think about origin. You know, why is there such a huge volume of blood? Why do you have it on your person? You know, from whence did it come? Because, you know, blood is essentially, aside from certain medical conditions, is only going to be present as a result of some type of trauma and look i've seen these images of clinny uh that were you know put out there you know by tmz were actually quite striking and for uh, people that are interested in true crime this is something these are this is a, a rare bird's eye view and it's literally a bird's eye view because you can see it from whoever shot this video was in an elevated position looking down toward this balcony on this, you know, on this apartment area. And I, I want to back up just for a second. We were talking about, you know, kind of some of the details and, you know, people making money. It has been alleged that the apartment that they were living in at that time, if I'm not mistaken, was roughly in the now, just hold on to your head for a second. It was roughly in the $10,000 per month nut that they had to make every month. Just let that sink in just for a second. Can you imagine having to come up with ten k every month just to put a roof over your head? I mean, you know, for average folks like us, you know, that's... That's quite a big number. You know, you're up in the thin air. So uh, you can only imagine there's a lot of pressure in this environment to be able to generate that kind of dough in order to to live, essentially. And that's, you know, that's that's just to have the roof over your head. That doesn't account for everything else that that's involved with this. So this is some type of lifestyle, you know, that they're leading. And then when you put it in the context that there has been a homicide that has been committed in this $10,000 per month rental, all right, and you're looking down on it, you get this kind of bird's eye view and peek behind the curtains, if you will, and you can see her seated there. It looks like she might be cuffed, seated on the floor, leaning back against the wall, and you can see dogs, or a dog, I think, kind of walking up toward her and then walking away. And even at that distance with that grainy video, you can appreciate how much blood is covering her. So it's an odd thing. And you can see the police working in there. You can kind of get faint images of uniformed cops kind of moving about and her kind of staring down. And, you know, for a moment, you know, you kind of detach yourself from the forensics of it. And you begin to think, you know, what in the world's going through her mind at that moment, Tom? Police came to the scene because of a 911 call. And in that 911 call, you can hear in the background Courtney Clenny saying, I'm sorry, baby, I'm sorry. That would stand to reason that she is the person who did this. 
then we find her covered with blood. So at that point, we would have to make a big assumption that she was the perpetrator. Yet she was not arrested for murder at that time. I've often had cases where, you know, you have individuals that are found at a scene that are encrusted with blood. And and this is kind of a, a very interesting point from a forensic standpoint versus your individual humanity. Because, you know, when you roll up on a scene as an investigator, first off, you don't know what in the world has happened. You, you didn't witness it. You've been summoned to the scene as an investigator. And here you have this horrific environment. And I think at a primal level, the first thing you want to try to do is kind of push it out of your mind. You see people that are impacted by the thing. Perhaps they are blood soaked. And, you know, your human side, you want to say, here, let me get you a warm towel. Let me get you some baby wipes or whatever it is that you're carrying in your kit and, you know, clean yourself up. But you have to fight that urge in this environment. And you say, well, Morgan, why would you want to do that? Well, her. Courtney Clinney at this moment in time, she is that point of contact where you know that she's going to have evidence that she can give you verbally, okay, as to what happened, because that's going to be one of the biggest questions you're going to, you're going to want to have an answer for. But also, there's another bigger tell here, and that's physical evidence that's contained on her body. You know, for every blood stain that she has on her person. There is a tale to be told relative to that point of contact, whether it is, say, for instance, you find your lover bleeding and you're trying to stem the flow of blood. You're trying to soothe them, so you draw them into you. And also, you have to begin to think, well, they're there, and they might be responsible for this. And the maybe, for instance, you've got an arterial spray pattern that's very fine. It's very distinct that has rested on the clothing. You need to keep that in pristine condition. One of the problems that happens many times in cases like this, first off, police do not keep an eye sometimes on a suspect because everybody's a suspect at this moment in time. And they allow them to go into another location, into a bathroom to wash their face, wash their hands, you know, just to change clothes maybe and not appropriately collect the clothing. Are you any opportunity that the individual might have to, you know, take away these garments or adjust their appearance from its pristine condition? That That is that that condition they are in when you initially observe them can compromise the entire narrative that the evidence is trying to portray, you know, for, for what had actually happened. So when you see her seated on the floor there, back to that image, that is a big tell. First off, you know that the police are not allowing her to clean herself up. So what do you do with her at that point in time? Well, the best thing you can do is is photograph. You photograph, photograph, photograph. And as distasteful as it is, and it is, you don't allow her to wash her hands. You don't allow her to clean her face. You don't allow her to wipe her neck off. And you certainly don't allow her to change clothing. Because in a case like this, that information is going to be a treasure trove moving forward as we begin to interpret what actually happened in that apartment. On that 911 call, you could also hear Obumselli saying that he was losing feeling in his arm and that he was dying. And that's when you hear Clinty say, I'm so sorry, baby. So when the police arrived, you were talking about this arterial spray, Joe. And we suspect that there was allegedly a fight between the two, and that's what in, resulted in his death. So what would the police have seen? She was covered in blood, but would the apartment have also been covered in blood? When the police you know, make this initial entry into this environment, uh, they will see copious, and I'll, you know, that's, that's a, a term that 
pathologists love to use, which just means a lot. Okay. Copious amount of blood that will probably be pooled in certain locations. Go back to what Obamcelia actually said or could be hurt saying, I, I, I can't. I can't feel anything. You know, I'm losing the feeling in my extremities. And this is something that is encountered with blood loss. As a matter of fact, that's, that's, he's probably becoming what's referred to as shocky at that moment in time. He's going into shock. His pallor will change. That is his complexion. It'll look kind of washed out. It doesn't have the vibrance that he would have had, you know, in a healthy state. He'll become delirious and this sort of thing. And he's not going to be moving around a lot. So where he finally comes to rest is going to be kind of the end game as far as he is concerned. However, in an initial attack, let's say he was seated on a sofa when his body is first breached uh, with an instrument like a sharp instrument, there will, if that weapon is withdrawn, you will see a tremendous amount of blood that will initially kind of come out of the body at that point in time. And his response to this, it's kind of a primal response. You know, you you feel the sharpness of the pain as an instrument penetrates your body and you reach up to kind of assess it yourself. Blood transfers to your hands. You may clutch your chest. You may try to brace yourself. You may try to reach forward. And if there's an attacker, you're going to grab them. So you're actually transferring your own blood to the individual that has struck a blow against you. Then, you know, your your instinct tells you to get away from that um, initial contact, from that point in which you were attacked or you perceive yourself to be attacked. And as that happens, your body is twisting, turning, this sort of thing. And if the object, for instance, a knife is not still in place and it's been removed from that location, you will have blood that is either slowly coming out of the body or spurting. Okay. And I think that in this case, you know, sustained an arterial breach at that moment in time. Now, some of that blood is going to remain within the body, but a a goodly portion of that is going to begin to come through that defect. And in this case, I believe that it is a sharp force injury. So it'll be a knife, a knife injury. And if folks at home will think about the way an eye, a human eye looks when it's closed. Many times, if you've never actually seen a stab wound in person, if you will close one of your eyes and stare in a mirror and look at kind of how your upper lid and your lower lid form this kind of slit-like appearance, that's what multiple stab wounds or even singular stab wounds look like. It'll come to a very pronounced point on one end almost like a closed eye, particularly if it is a single-edged weapon. And so you can have quite a bit of blood coming forth from that injury if an artery is struck. And so every time the heart beats, essentially, okay, you will have forced blood out of that defect. And that's, that's what in the world of forensic pathology, these are referred to as it'll be probably a linear defect, meaning line. The blood will kind of spurt out and it'll come out in a spray because that's the way it's coursing through your body at that moment in time. Remember, he's not dead. Okay. Heart's still pumping. He's still breathing. So it's being forced out. And as it's being forced out, it's almost like the spray of a water hose, okay? It's not really greatly directed. It's not targeted, say, like a bullet coming out of a gun. It's kind of sprayed indiscriminately. And you'll see these patterns that have almost a histamine-like appearance to it, to it many times. It's uh, as it's spraying out like the end of a water hose, and it's contacting multiple surfaces over a broad-ranging area. And you can kind of track these or trail them depending upon the movement of the body. And as, of course, more blood is lost, there'll be a 
less volume of blood that's coming from this injury. You know, remember he said, I couldn't, you know, I can't feel my arms. And as as shock begins to set in, those areas where he has moved about as a result of this injury will come to a terminus. It'll end right there where he finally dies or goes into a kind of a static position on the floor where he can no longer move. He would get very, very sleepy, drowsy, that sort of thing as blood, you know, has begun to leach out of his body. He's not getting sufficient oxygenation to his brain. Now, what comes into play at this moment in time is what efforts did Clinty make? Did she attempt to resuscitate him? And if she did, then that would mean that envision your hands in the center of somebody's chest as you're doing chest compressions and you're immediately adjacent to this insult in the chest, this open wound. And every time, think about this, every compression that you make, that is every time you press down on the chest, a little bit of blood is going to leach out. Okay. And as that happens, it's going to transfer to your hands. Okay. I got to stop you for a second. I want to understand something you just said. You said blood is going to leach out. When you use that term, and I've heard you use it often, do you mean a little trickle? Do you mean a spurt? Give me a mental image to think about when you say blood is going to leach out. Well, when it, it leaches out, many times, you know, people will associate leaching with kind of oozing, okay? But when I'm saying leaching out, particularly when you're talking about chest compressions on somebody that has an insult, it's not going to spray as as much as, say, an arterial spray where the heart is still pumping it, but you're pressing it out. It, it's a bit more sluggish, and it will still transfer. That blood that's still caught up in those vessels in that area where, where he has been injured that blood will still come out. You're forcing it. Remember, every compression that you generate, you're an, ex- you're an external pump. If you're the one administering CPR, you're an external pump now, and you're pumping that remainder, that residual blood out of the body, and it transfers onto your hands, and essentially it leaches onto your hands. And everybody can understand, you know, kind of the tackiness of blood. You can't get it off of you. Blood is not a standalone, one-off substance. It's a, it's a, a, it's a substance that is has multiple components to it. As a matter of fact, if it doesn't continue to circulate, if it just sits on the floor, for instance, after a period of time, what's really fascinating, one of the things that we look at in death investigation is you will actually see, and this is kind of cool, you'll actually see the red blood cells, and you can visually see this, you can see the red blood cells begin to separate out from the serum. So you'll have over a period of time, and we really haven't fine-tuned this enough to know, you know, if we're going to use this as like a part of assessing postmortem interval, that is the time since death. But we do know that over a period of time, the red blood cells will migrate away from the serum. And the serum is, is clear. You know, it's it's kind of clear. It's got kind of a yellow tinge to it. And you'll see it begin to kind of migrate away because it's no longer mixing. Yeah, and just think about that, you know, as, as the body is pumping the blood through the body and it's being oxygenated and it's traveling throughout the body, it's essentially mixing and staying mixed in that, in that state like that. But after it's out of the body, it begins to kind of separate out into its individual components at that moment in time. So with what you're describing right there, Joe, with the blood separating and the way that it's going to look outside the body, what would it look like on Clinty herself? Because the image... She looks like somebody drenched her in red paint. It really does. It looks like somebody dipped a paintbrush in a big bucket of paint and just kind of randomly, you know, wiped it all across her person. And, and again, that's you got to temper that a little bit because remember, you know, that image that we're looking at at that moment, Thomas, is from above. And it looks like it's from across the way. So it's at kind of a distance. So it's it's hard to appreciate detail. But when you're up on her in person and or when they would have been up on her, that is the authorities in person, you could visibly see the changes in the blood. It begins to kind of darken as it's contacting the very surfaces of her clothing, 
along her face, her hands, and the nature of it is changing because it's now outside of the body. And there is a color change many times. That that image that they took, I think, was probably early on. And if if she were to have been allowed to stay, you know, there and you could kind of photograph her over a progression of time, you would see that the 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 color would have changed. Blood is always changing, you know, in these scenes and on on individual persons. And it's it's very fragile too. As it begins to dry, it'll begin to flake, crack first. You actually see it cracking the stained area. And then it'll begin to flake as it's interacting with the world outside of the body. So it's a very dynamic substance. You have to be swift in your assessment. You have to be swift in your documentation. That is particularly, you want to try to get this person photographed as quickly as you can from as many different perspectives as you can, demonstrating all surfaces of their person and try to retrieve that clothing and keep it as intact as you can because you you don't know what's going to be on there. I mean, there's any number of things that can be on that clothing. Chief among them, other than the blood, you know, you can have hair that you would expect to find her hair contained on, on her clothing. But this poor man, you know, you would also potentially find his hair. Now, they're in an intimate relationship, so you would expect maybe to find trace elements of his hair that have sloughed off of his body, maybe even his skin. But when you find, say, the blood that's there that has kind of encrusted on that clothing and you have hair, his hair, caught up in multiple locations, you know that there was, in that in those little dried areas of blood, you know that there's something very dynamic that has gone on. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're a smoker looking for an alternative to traditional tobacco, you might feel uncertain at the thought of changing things up. Maybe you're ready to make a switch, but don't know where to start. Maybe you've tried vaping, thought it wasn't your thing. Maybe you've heard of smokeless nicotine products, but aren't familiar with the options. Meet Zen, America's number one nicotine pouch. Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Zen is a satisfying tobacco alternative that puts you in control of your nicotine experience. Which means Zen pairs well with you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. I will continue to beat this drum about time. Time for an investigator is the most precious 
asset that we possess. And if you can have a documented timeline that marries up with what you believe may have happened, it's like finding gold as f- from an investigative standpoint. And in this case, Jackie, I think that the police have done a fine job in kind of pinning down a rough timeline of these events. The timeline that police have laid out in this investigation is that Christian Obumselli came back into the apartment around 4.33 p.m. At 4.43, Courtney Clinney calls her mother, and she's on the phone with her mother just over six minutes. At 4.49, Clinney makes a second call to her mother, and they spoke until 4.56 p.m. That's a little over seven minutes. So that makes it 4.56 p.m., at 4.57 p.m., Clenny calls 911. So given that timeline, Joe, what does that tell you about when this assault actually occurred? According to the timeline that the police have released in this case, we have to think about what was Obamselli doing. Well, he had, he had left the apartment and at and had been gone for for quite some time. There was some contact between these two, uh, that is, Clinny and Obamselli via phone. And it was during that conversation that apparently he agreed to go and pick up food from Subway, Subway restaurant. He's going to go grab sandwiches. And it's at the moment that he hits the door, when he returns back into the apartment, roughly at According to the police, at 4.32 p.m., there was a fight that ensued. And, and this happened, you know, rather quickly. And it's it's curious here that it you, we don't really know, according to the police, what sparked this off at that moment in time. But something occurred relative to his, maybe it happened when he was going to get the sandwiches, maybe they had had in that initial phone call before he, you know, Rob, maybe they have spat. Um, he returns back to the apartment. According to the police, they have put forth this, this narrative that while open Sally was out of the apartment, she was taping. Now, I don't know if this was for her fan, fan accounts or if there was some kind of issue, you know, related to that, but something sparked this off. And, it was at that moment in time, there's kind of this this brief moment in time that, you know, roughly according to the timeline that the police had laid out, it, it would have happened in an instant, I think, that this attack, if as the police have laid it out, would have would have occurred perhaps with him being completely unaware of what was about to have happened. And I think that that's that's what they have spent so much time, you know, Jackie, you had mentioned earlier, they, they didn't arrest her initially. I think that they've spent a lot of time trying to sort this out. That, that actual brief window of time has, has kind of stumped them to try to get the, the facts straight in this particular story to try to understand what could have kicked this thing off. What would have initiated uh, such a violent act having taken place? Police say that Clenny told them that she was defending herself. So let's look at the actual injuries that Obumselli sustained. He was stabbed with a six-inch knife. So describe for me, Joe, where he was stabbed, what body parts would have been affected, why he was not feeling his arm any longer. Explain that for me, Joe. When when his wound was assessed it's quite fascinating i found because it's a single it's a single injury you just think about that just for a second and he's a big guy if you've never seen an image of these two together i, I beg you check it out online he's a big powerful guy and I'm not saying she's completely diminutive or anything, but there is a size differential here, a significant. He's well-muscled, big guy, 
these two people are in pretty good physical condition. And it's with a single blow that he was essentially struck down. The the injury that the Miami-Dade Medical Examiner's Office was able to assess on him, you know, stated that that the track of this wound, you'd mentioned that this is a six inch blade and the blade itself is, is, it's got a serrated edge on it, which gives you an indication. This is probably something used, you know, in a household. We generally see serrated edges, you know, for steak knives. Okay. This thing penetrated according to Miami Dade ME's office, three inches. Now you got a six inch blade. I don't, I don't know that listeners understand how much strength it takes to force the entirety of a blade into somebody's body. You're talking about pressing pressing six inches of steel into a human's body where you're passing through connective tissue, muscle, perhaps you're, you're nicking bone at that point in time, and then any kind of organ systems that might be indwelling beneath there. And that, that doesn't even begin to count the vessels, which in this case – is what we're compromised. If if our listeners, and we've talked about this on Body Bags before with other cases, and it's amazing how it continues to come up. And it came up in my career. You know, this particular vessel, it's it runs beneath the collarbone. So if everybody at home, and the initial reports had come out and said it was left side, but it turns out it's right side. It's the collarbone, which is referred to as the clavicle, and you can feel this at the base of your neck. It's kind of this long tubular bone that is one of the structures that holds, you know, holds our 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 head in place, and it holds our our shoulders up, this sort of thing. And it's anterior, which means it's on the front of the body. There is a complex of vessels that run beneath the the clavicle and one in particular that's called the subclave which sub meaning below the subclave artery or subclavicular artery and in this case obumcelli this knife was driven through the subclavicular artery and it wasn't and this is significant the track of this thing and we track knife wounds in forensics just like we do bullet wounds they have a path or a track uh, and the path of of this blade passing beneath his his clavicle and through the subclave is downward downward and that's very important to understand why well it, it is because remember what i said just a second ago this is a big guy he's a big man he's not some tiny little guy he's a big man and here we have his partner here that is significantly shorter than he. So that leads us to believe that perhaps, just perhaps, he was in an asymmetrical position relative to her where if if what the police are, are opining and they're putting forward, she would have had to have been in a dominant position above, above him. And this is called asymmetry. Which, you know, things are kind of out of whack. You got one thing that's above the other. And the other thing below is the the target area that's being attacked. So the knife would have had to have been raised from above and dropped down. Okay. Dropped down in a single blow. So what would have happened is, is that the knife itself would have passed beneath the collarbone and tracked through this vessel complex, because I'm sure it wasn't just the subclavicular artery that got nicked. There were other little associated arteries that probably got clipped as well. Our body is, is you know, there's there's webs of, you know, capillary beds and all these things, you know, that are passing through that are supplying, you know, oxygenated blood and taking away blood that's that needs to be replenished with oxygen. And you've got all of these little fields of vessels that are being compromised as well. But the subclave is certainly the most prominent among these. And it's got a tremendous amount of internal pressure that's being placed upon it every time the heart pushes out blood. Keep that in mind. So you've clipped this, you've clipped this vessel that is supplying blood to that particular side of the body. Remember, what did he say? He said that, you know, you could hear him in the background. I'm, 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 I'm getting numb. 
I'm getting numb. You know, I can't can't feel my extremities. Well, no, you can't feel your extremities at that point because you're no longer receiving blood flow. He he would have also felt very cold as well. At least his perception, his internal thermometer would have been telling him, you know, I'm I'm chilly, I'm shivering. You know, that's one of the reasons you you wrap people in blankets that are going into shock and that sort of thing. So here's the important question in this attack, Joe. Courtney Clinney reportedly told police that she first threw the knife and it hit Obamselli, that they were having the argument. She was acting in self-defense because he grabbed her. He choked her and threw her to the ground. She ran to the kitchen. She grabbed the knife and threw it and hit Obamselli. Is that possible with what we know now from the Emmy? I, I got I to gotta say this on an aside. I, when I first heard this, it, it took me back to a moment when I was a kid, and I used to love Western movies. One of my favorite Western movies of all time is a classic, Magnificent Seven, and James Coburn was in that movie, and each one of these guys had a specialty, and his specialty was throwing knives. And it was amazing, you know, when you're a kid and you see him throw knives and, you know, he's taking down all these bad guys in the movie. And that's somebody that is portrayed with a tremendous amount, a level of skill at doing this. And in my estimation, at least, it would be a one in a million shot in order to do this first off you'd have to know how to throw the knife and there is a very particular way of throwing a knife and thrown knives are generally throwing knives there that's actually a thing throwing knives um these knives are balanced in a very particular way and then you can have a balanced throwing knife but if the thrower is not skilled and can target these things you know you you might as well be throwing pebbles at somebody. It would be a one in a million shot. So no, I, I don't. I don't see how that is possible. And and the fact that you would have to get this knife. Remember what the Emmy said. The Emmy said that you got three inches of penetration. That's a tremendous amount of power going through this very powerful man's chest. He's he appears to be very well muscled, particularly in his his peck area you know in the muscles of his chest and so you have to pass through that three inches i mean you're talking about getting down into the chest cavity at this moment in the time so that i think that that's that's rather fantastical when you begin to think about the possibility that that could have even have occurred and you know the police would have assessed this they certainly would have gone to the medical examiner and said you know look hey doc is is this physically possible can can this actually occur can you take the knife that we have from the scene and can it be thrown and generate this kind of injury and you know the medical examiner apparently has opined that that's that that's just not the case let me give you a quick word picture here, an example of something. And it's not the same as throwing a knife, but you know all these bars that are out here where people are, are you know, are throwing tomahawks at, at these wooden targets, hatchets, you know, that they're throwing. You know, people drink and they throw these things. Watch how those people throw those instruments and just how much power it takes to get one of those to stick. And when it sticks, it has to catch on a particular edge a leading edge of this thing and then it doesn't go in really really deep most of the time but you don't have to you know put your foot on it to try to pry it out or anything like that and how much more so with one of these knives and that's what she is putting forth another really significant thing here you know we talked about the assessment of her and the blood evidence that was on her person well, she's indicating, according to the police, that he, Obenselli, allegedly attacked her. Well, what does that mean? Well, first off, it means that you he attacked her. That, you know, I don't think it was a verbal attack because she actually says that he attempted to choke her. Again, I go back. This guy's very powerful. Did she tell the police officers that initially when they arrived at the scene? Because if if she did... There's got to be pictures of her neck. If he 
threatened her to the point where he put his hands on her neck and began to squeeze in that early in those early moments of that investigation there would have probably been evidence of that you would have seen a red irritated area around her throat around her neck and then that would have turned into classically what we would call a bruise or a contusion in that area where he's squeezing his powerful hands around her neck I'd want to know if the police did that assessment and they were able to conclude that, yeah, there was an attack here, that we saw evidence of that, or that we didn't see evidence of that, because it's something that would stand out like a sore thumb. If events happened, as Clinty first alleged to police, that she was protecting herself and that she threw the knife and hit him and hit Obumseli, would the blood patterns have been different? You know, I'd have to say that that there would be if you're talking about throwing the knife first off i think that the injury itself would appear completely different and this is why you have to assume that let's let's think about shooting an arrow if you're shooting an arrow at a target and that arrow is going downrange. It's staying kind of on a flat plane. And there'll be slight deviation. It'll arc and that sort of thing. But it's kind of on a plane, like an eye, eye-line plane, you know, traveling in that direction. The injury would present completely different. First off, the track itself would not be from above to below, which is what we have According to the medical examiner in this case, it would be from what you would call front to back or anterior tracking posterior going from, you know, um, beneath the clavicle so that it's headed toward the shoulder blade, if you will. That's not what's occurring here. As far as blood patterns, assuming that she could throw the knife and it would have stuck into or compromise the structural integrity of that that vessel in there the subclave i don't know that the blood patterns themselves would have been any different but the the wound track itself would have been markedly different you would have seen something completely different than what the medical examiner saw at autopsy BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zen for a spin. Zen nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Ready to start your new journey? Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge. Enjoy Zen nicotine pouches for 10 days and discover a fresher way to experience nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. Here's how to get started with the Zen 10 Challenge. Simply pick your strength and varieties online and check out. Once your Zen nicotine pouches arrive in the mail, enjoy pure nicotine satisfaction at your leisure. After your 10-day trial, let us know what you think. If Zen isn't for you, no hard feelings. It's that simple. Order online at Zen.com. That's Z-Y-N.com to start your new journey today with the Zen 10 Challenge. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? 
No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. You know, police officers never know what they're walking into. You know, and they they always say that, you know, domestic cases, and I agree, I agree, are always the most dangerous situations you can walk into. And and look, the cops are not there 24-7 to see what happens in a family dynamic, a relationship dynamic. They're there after the fact most of the time, or they're there when the thing has just come to a complete and total head and people are screaming and yelling and you've got you know things being broken and people are injured and maybe even dead. But in this case, you know, you got to go to the neighbors because it's an intimate environment. We're not talking about this is a standalone structure, you know, where, you know, you've got a white picket fence around the house. No, you're living in an apartment. You're living in an apartment. That means you got people above you, below you, to the left, to the right. They see you in the hallway. And sometimes your best source of information are the people that inhabit the space around you. Well, in Courtney Clinney's case, the people that came forward were friends and neighbors who reported seeing and hearing a lot of violence coming, not just from the apartment, but throughout the couple's two-year career. And then we have the video of Courtney Clinney assaulting Obumseli in an elevator. Now, keep in mind, again, everyone is innocent until proven guilty. This case has not been adjudicated yet. We're discussing the evidence that may come forward in a trial. So how is this video, Joe, and witness statements of assault and fights and physical attacks going to play into this case? It's a treasure trove, I think. Uh, And when this does go to trial, you're going to see a succession of not just eyewitnesses, but in this particular case, you're going to have ear witnesses. And I think anybody that in uh, among our listeners that have ever lived in an apartment, that's the biggest drawback, isn't it? You know, you hear people, you know, you you got heavy – Heavy-footed people, you know, that live above you, people that play loud music, people that bang around in the middle of the night when you're trying to, you know, catch some sleep. But the things that always stand out are those those sounds that pass through the wall. And, you know, we're sharp enough as human beings to to pick up, I think, even in stressors in people's voices, you know, the rise and the fall, the pitch of a voice. And not just that, but what's being verbalized, you know, the threats and all of that stuff will will come to light, I think, you know, during the course of this. And then, you know, this you top all of this off with this imagery, which I got to tell you, you know, it was it, it gave me pause, you know, this elevator image that has been floating around out there. And, you know, when you see this thing, the, the capture, the video capture that they have, you know, Cleany, you know, first comes into frame and it looks like she's, you know, dressed in maybe a bra or sports bra. I can't really tell in a pair of, you know, like sleeping pants or something like this. And she's it's the elevator itself looks like something out of Star Trek. You know, it's, it's a nice, it's like high-tech kind of thing. And there's this big touchpad wall that's brightly lit. And she's frustrated. You can see her just like pounding on the board itself, trying to get it to respond. And almost immediately, you know, Obumseli comes around the corner and walks in. And he attempts to assist with the board. And it's at that moment in time, you see her strike out at him. 
again, you know, you know how I was talking about earlier, how you can see kind of a physical difference, you know, between between Obamselli and Kalini. You know, he's he's big guy, but you know, in that image, you know, he kind of comes off as like this gentle giant. I don't know how I would react. She's striking him. I mean, she's she's hitting. She she grabs his hair, pulls his head back a little bit. You can see he kind of winces, and guess what he does? He puts his arm around her and kind of secures her adjacent to his body so that she can't strike him. But I never see him in that video image raise his hand to her. I never see him put his hands around her throat. I never see him bang her off the wall. And so I think that as that is being played before the court, I think that it's going to it's going to really tell a tale and I think that the jury will certainly have enough information to to chew on in that event. How do you distinguish between this he said she said scenario? You have Courtney Clenny who has said more than once that he was abusive and that he assaulted her. And then you have video evidence and his friends and hers as well saying, well, we saw her hitting him. He didn't hit back, but we saw her hitting him. How do you weigh that in the testimony? Well, you know, and I think that probably counsel and I've I've seen this happen in court cases I've covered. They famously say, particularly the prosecution, they'll say, you know, you can say anything about the dead. You know, they they can't defend themselves at that moment in time. And I think from an evidentiary standpoint, when you hear about putting forth the narrative that she had been attacked, one of the questions that would be brought up is, where's the evidence of attack? And I'm talking about how is that physically demonstrated over this two-year period? You know, okay, you, you say you've been attacked. You say that you've been assaulted, that you're in fear of your life, and all those things that they say. How is that demonstrated? How has it manifested itself physically over that same period of time? And if that is what you move forward with, if that's the narrative that you put forward, you know, from the perspective of a defense, defense is going to have to, you know, put that out there. They're going to have to demonstrate that, you know, on this date, she went to the clinic. And look, I mean, this is something that we do in forensics all the time, you know, particularly when we think about abuse cases. And my mind always drifts drifts back because they're the most defenseless among us are, are young children, you know, and that's <clears throat> when we have child fatalities, for instance, you know, we will go back historically and look at the course of treatment that this child may have had. You know, they went to multiple medical facilities that were treated for this and that, you know, fractures or, you know, contusions, concussions, split heads, you know, where you've got these big lacerations where they had to be sewn up. And, you know, that's that kind of gives you these investigative breadcrumbs along the way. So, you you know, again, we're not there, you know, as investigators, when these things happen, we have to go back after the fact and piece it together. And if if you don't have that, and I think that that's that's what makes this a difficult sell. Again, Courtney Clenny is accused of stabbing her boyfriend, Christian Obumselli, and she is charged with murder in the second degree with a deadly weapon. Again, she has not been convicted. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty. So now this is up to a jury. I'm Joseph Scott Morgan. And this is Body Bags. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life. Because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. It's Dexcom. 
with the new Dexcom G7, you get better diabetes results without those awful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or to your watch, so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affect your glucose. It makes it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's so easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.